Hello and welcome to Setting the Table with Women Like Us. I'm Mandy Nolan. I'm Ellen Briggs. And we're talking about how to maintain and how to attain a healthy lifestyle and healthy weight as women. This is a podcast that is formed by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. That's right. And we talk every week, as you would have heard, to Dr. Caroline West. She's just fantastic. She sorts through all the noise and comes out with all of these positive changes and positive things we can make, all the steps. You would have seen Dr. Caroline on Ask the Doctor on ABC Catalyst. She's often on the project and the drum, 60 Minutes, Good Medicine. She's a celebrity doctor and we love her. She also works still in her practice. It really is her um, her passion, isn't it, Mandy, to work with women and getting them to a really healthy place in their life. That's really her, her life's work. So we're really lucky to have her on lucky. this podcast. And it is so, look, it's so different. Like our times, you know, women's health isn't as straightforward as, you know, as you think. We go through so many changes, like, you know, from puberty to pregnancy to menopause to kind yeah. of, you know, old age. What what were the some changes in your life? Like what was pregnancy? Because pregnancy is a time where often, you know, women talk about there's weight gain and loss. Yeah. Well, I, I have only had one pregnancy because I had twins. I'm very efficient, Mandy. I know. She's got <laughs> wanna, it done quickly. One or two kids, right, do two at once. It's like, right. um, you know, when you see something for sale in the shop and you go, I'll grab two of those because they're on sale. Right. <laughs> I did that with the pregnancy. Um, I put on about 30 kilos with my pregnancy, but I lost it really fast. Because that's and a it was, big pregnancy gain, but you had twins. So I had twins, yeah. They were, they were quite premature. They were nine weeks premature, but I lost it very fast. I do remember, though, the day after I had them, um, walking into the hospital, because obviously they had to stay in, in hospital, and I walked into the special care unit where they were, and I had put this skirt on that I hadn't, you know, I'd, I'd packed it because that'll be my coming home clothes. And I put it on, and I was like, "Look how thin I am!" You know, like because this, I mean, I was massive. I think they measured me at twenty-eight weeks and said you're the size of a full-term pregnancy. Wow! And I went for another two weeks after that. Um, and I remember walking and just like, "Oh yeah, look at me, look at me." And when I look at the photos now, I still look like seven months pregnant. <laughs> I did one. My my, um, I think it was my third pregnancy um, with my son. I put on thirty kilos and gave birth to a child that weighed five kilograms, which is eleven pounds. Wow! Yeah, that was. And someone stopped me in the street once and went, "Wow, you're the biggest pregnant woman I've ever seen," which is not what you want to hear. No, like no. That, that was that made me really cautious the next time because my next pregnancy I was forty one, which is an I think they call it a geriatric pregnancy. Do they? Yeah, it's horrible. And I was so cautious then um, and I was at a really good weight when I fell pregnant. I was really fit. And I think I put on about 11 kilos over the whole pregnancy. Oh, okay. That's not much at all. Yeah, that was well because I think it's 8 to 15 they look at as the recommended amount because I was just so worried I was going to blow out like I did the time before because there's all this gestational diabetes and stuff you've got to watch out for. Yeah. it's hard though, you know, like the hormonal stuff really makes a difference. I mean, now you and I are both in the in the menopause. Yeah, in the menopause. We're in the menopause. And oh, no. um, that really plays havoc with your weight, doesn't it? I feel like the weight is just sticking like glue. Oh, it's sticky. I used to just drop weight, like I could drop weight really easily. Like yeah. after my first child, breastfeeding, wow, it was just shedding. Yeah. And, you know, although after that was weird, it can have two different effects. 
when you breastfeed, you can either it can either shed or it is similar to menopause. It's like a it's like a cal- glue, like your body doesn't let go because so, it's going. You're feeding, and you yeah. need to hold on to this. So there is a sort of a, it's almost like your metabolism. Similar, like it feels like my metabolisms. I can't even say metabolism. <laughs> it's a big word. The metabolism has slowed down. Yeah, you know, and having to burn it up, but it is boring, isn't it? Going. Oh, it's yeah. hard. Well, and there's also there's also stages in your life. I think when you know, I've seen friends who have gone through really traumatic events, and and that affects their weight. You know, like but so many things. We're so sensitive. Women's bodies are so sensitive compared to dudes. Yeah. Wouldn't it be good if you had the hot flushes? Because you know, your personal trainer goes feel the burn, and a menopausal woman really does feel the burn. Yeah. But, I mean, it's burning constantly. I wonder whether that, if you could actually stay in a constant state of hot flush, whether that would burn off some calories. That might be a calorie burn. Yeah. You might even need to go to the gym. Like well, I often think about, you know, because I have that sulfite um, allergy in some yeah. wines and my heart rate goes up to about 190 beats per minute and I can't get it down. I well, that's probably not bad. Have a couple of glasses of that and then just lie around. Yeah, and look at her exercising. <laughs> that's her. Look at your intermittent training on the tiles. <laughs> I don't know if that's... It's not fun. I think we need to talk about now, um, you know... Well, this is the last episode in our Setting the Table podcast. About how to maintain stuff. And you know we talked last week about alcohol and I said... That's right. How did you go? Actually, I did okay. And it felt good. So you had four nights alcohol-free? Yeah, yeah, I did four nights alcohol-free. And What um, did you do? So tell us, tell us what your strategy was. Oh, I went at, for that a walk. five o'clock. You went I for, did a walk? for a walk. Walking was good, and so, you know, one night I sat down for. I found sitting down and having um, even a drink of anything was too similar to what I've been doing before. So I had yeah. to disrupt it more, like go for a walk, do a painting, um, just have a bath. Oh, um, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's a good transition from yeah. work to just do something like that. Just something so I felt different. Yeah, different clothes on. And now it's getting hot. You could jump in the pool. Yeah, exactly. Just do something nice. So that was good. And I still had a chat to my husband, which I'd be really like to do. Um, and even when he was having a whiskey, you know, he's a very very moderate drinker. He'll have one whiskey. Yeah, and like that's me. it. And I I don't really feel like drinking whiskey, so that was fine. And okay. that was, was actually so, good. So do you think you'll be able to maintain that? Yeah. What did you do on the three days? Just smash it? <laughs> Smashed it. <laughs> didn't didn't really, but I probably did drink a bit too much. But I think the main thing is I have to be really mindful about it. I can't expect it's not just going to happen naturally for me. That's something no. I have to be very conscious of making the changes. I did notice I slept a lot better. Ah, that's and interesting. I, and I snored less. You noticed that or John did? I can tell when I wake up because I've had a better sleep yeah. and he's still in the bed. Ah, <laughs> So clearly you didn't drive him away. Yeah, he's in one of the rooms. So I'm going, how bad was it? I've got a, I've got a thing, like if he's still in the lounge room, because we've got a two-storey house and we're in the top storey, if he's still in the lounge room, it wasn't that bad. But if he's gone downstairs, oh, it, it, was it, went next, it was next level. That's a four glass of yeah, wine. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, yeah. He's gone. And in which bedroom? The one at the back of the back. <laughs> That's really Imagine bad. if they were all slept in. I know, he sort of worked his way through that. So I am doing better. So. Great. Good to hear. So let's just talk about, I'd love to sort of find out from Dr. Caroline some more stuff around, you know, motivation, how we keep it going, you know, and how our different life stages do affect, um, you know, our weight and, and how we maintain, you yeah. know, a healthy lifestyle. Let's give her a call. For you the should. last time today. Well, now we've got a number. We can just call her about everything. Dr. Caroline, I've got this lump. <laughs> got a hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Caroline. It's Ellen and Mandy. How are you? 
Very well, thank you. That's good. We were just saying this is our last time calling you on our Setting the Table podcast, but we've both got your number now, so yeah. we'll be calling you about all sorts of things. <laughs> I've got this really got a it, sore back. Got an itchy kind of bit here. <laughs> you must do you get asked terrible we'll things send you, like that. We'll send you photos. Do. <laughs> do you? People? I do. Yeah, often late at a party or something like that. Somebody comes up and goes, oh, do you mind just checking this out? And they sort of literally, I've had people like reach for their belt buckle. I go, uh, oh, no. I think, or, you know, yeah, seriously. Or can you just, yeah. I once had somebody, I heard this sound behind a big palm and I, I thought, what's going on? And there was this sort of, and it was somebody that was hiding behind the palm who wanted to ask me something, but they wanted to remain concealed. Oh, my God. So oh, that's of, insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Yeah, so I stood next to this palm having this little conversation. Oh, my God, you did a consult. And you're going Yeah, on... palm consult. Yeah, so it was sort of, you know, most of it was around, look, we really need to see somebody about this. <laughs> it it <already laughs> is, isn't it? Because, you know, we kind of feel and we probably need to get more familiar with talking to our doctors about our health um, and not waiting till it's to the point where you're standing behind a pot plant at a party. Yeah. Like to, to... I always tell myself when I'm when I'm going to the doctor and it's got to, you know, and it's something that you might feel a bit embarrassed about, I always just say to myself, it's not the first one they've ever seen. You know, why do I think I'm special and that they're going to be talking about me when they go home tonight? That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. So just looking at, as we're finishing up now, I just wanted to look at some of the kind of lifestyle um, kind of stuff that we have and, and different times of our life as women. I just wondered what are the times of life which make us more vulnerable to weight gain, Dr Caroline? Well, there are all those transitions, especially hormonally, that we go through. So puberty is probably the first one that springs to mind and, women's bodies are changing rapidly and we're adjusting to growing breasts and developing bigger hips. And um, and so that's probably the first stage. And I think that that's often where we start to build that sense of a, a relationship with our body and feeling comfortable in our bodies and having a good relationship with food. And that's often where you start to see pat- other patterns which are, are less healthy emerge as well during that sort of puberty age where there's a lot of pressure on to look a certain way. That's true. Mm. Yeah, that's really yeah. – you, you do see that happen a lot, don't you? I mean, I remember I I reached puberty really early, you know, like I sort of was getting boobs and hips and, and you know, started my period when I was about 11 or 12. And I had a I had a girlfriend who was very thin, you know, naturally thin. I've always been not very thin. And she just desperately wanted to get her period and she didn't get it until she was 16 or 17. And I was going, don't rush that. But it's mm. hard when you're one of the first kids that it happens to, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a time where sort of developing confidence in your body is, is complicated sometimes and um, especially when there are certain kind of expectations or you're comparing yourself to others because everybody's yeah. so different in terms of their shape. Um, well, that, and I think that sort of, yeah. That's important, isn't it? Because I think we've been kind of um, really marketed there is, an, there is this one ideal shape without realising how many shapes there are. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting seeing some of the, you know, I suppose that there are so many visual cues that have largely come from women's magazines traditionally but now moving into Instagram. But one of the things I'm kind of encouraged by is that we're starting to see, especially on some of the streaming platforms with programs being made, where there's genuine diversity Um being shown, you know, body size and shape and and that's going to allow people to feel comfortable in themselves. I think when they see people, you know, being re- they're seeing themselves being represented. 
Mm. Yeah, it is. So there, there does seem like it's a it's a slow shift, isn't it? But it's definitely happening. It's a slow shift, but um, and then I suppose with women, we've got those other sort of transition patches, which are things like pregnancy is an obvious one, where mm-hmm. a lot of women um, obviously change shape but gain weight during pregnancy, and it's whether they ever get back to their sort of pre-pregnancy weight, because right. often what happens is afterwards that they they their weight comes back down again, but often it's a couple of kilos heavier than where they started. And then with subsequent pregnancies, it's this sort of ever nudging up kind of equation. You do nudge, um, nudge up like that. I had an obstetrician say to me once because he'd been an obstetrician for a number of my, my pregnancies and I'd been very, you know, slender the first time. And the second time he goes, oh, well, you'll never get back to what you were. And I, oh, wow. I was really demoralised by that, by that statement. Yeah. I don't know whether he was being honest or... Um, it was felt defeatist to say that to me when I was pregnant. Mm. Yeah, it's not encouraging, and and I think that um, you know, it, that's a that's one sort of phase where it is kind of important to to be looking at healthy lifestyles because I think what's happened with a lot of pregnancies is that you you know some women just drop a lot of the things they were doing. You know, they do less exercise, or you know, the eating for two thing uh, sneaks in, and so they're more relaxed and. Um, may not be noticing so much how their how their lifestyle patterns are changing, and then when the stress of the baby, you know, arriving comes around, they they're then less likely to sort of be in touch with all of those little strategies that sort of kept them feeling good, kept them feeling active. Um, yeah, because it's hard to exercise when you've got a newborn baby. Mm. It takes quite a bit of confidence to to do that. How, do you do you see a lot of sort of you know women come in that have had new babies and are struggling to find their way back to their bodies? Oh, totally. And, you know, often they, they feel and look different and, you know, there's often that, that sense of um, will I still be attractive to my partner? Do I have the energy? Um, and, you know, I think that that we've got to be proud of women's bodies with what they can, they can do. I mean, having a baby is quite an extraordinary feat yeah. and we get so distracted by um, other questions around how do we look rather than how do we feel and how do we function, you know. Um, it's, I think that there are more groups and forums available to, to new um, parents now to actually engage in more kind of planned activities and there's certainly sort of no end of mums and bubs classes and yoga and things that people can get involved with that I think um, give them the possibility to go out with their baby and do something active. But yeah, there's also a lot of sitting around having cake and tea and sort of, you know, um, when you've got a newborn as well, that you have to sort of be mindful of those patterns creeping in a lot as well. Well, that's right. And there's there's also, you know, for me, I know I, I came from having a, a pretty, you know, busy job. I had a career and I worked really long hours to then having these, I had twins, and uh, to then having these children who were unbelievable sleepers, thankfully. So I had lots of downtime in the day. Just sitting, and, and the boredom creeps in and then and you have that's that. That's when the biscuits come that's in. That's when the biscuit thing started, I think. It's when the addiction started. <laughs> you know, so you're you, tired. You're you know, tired, you. yeah, you're tired and you're bored and that's an easy thing to quickly grab and have before the kids wake up. So, yeah, that's a that's a hard one, isn't it, the pregnancy? And then and then you go through this long period of being a carer for someone and, you know, your health tends to come last, doesn't it? And then you eat all of their leftovers for the next 20 years. So oh, yeah. That's, 
Well, because often you're preparing meals as a mum, because how do you do that? I always struggle. I was preparing meals I didn't actually want to eat, but the kids wanted to eat. And that that was when I put on quite a bit of weight because it was like comfort food every night. How how do you change that? Well, you know, a few episodes ago we talked about everybody sort of having a similar approach to to food no matter what your age. And certainly even the, the guidelines for babies now have expanded to to allow them to be exposed to a whole range of foods. You know, in the old days, we just used to feed them little bits of cereal for the first few months and it was all very bland. But now we're encouraging kids to try lots of different foods. And um, I think that, you know, having sort of food that the kids will eat and then food that the parents will eat as, as being on a separate menu is is um, pretty exhausting. And, and I know there's sort of pressure from kids to become fussy and finicky, but I tend to sort of encourage the, the reverse thinking, which is like, what would you like to eat as a family that would be healthy? And then the kids sort of fall into line with that. Um, because after a bit of resistance, the interesting thing is you can have food refusal or fussy eaters, but if you become a bit creative with how you present it and then just keep keep sort of trying it, uh, eventually um, food preferences can change. And the thing is the food preferences you set for your kids are going to influence what their preferences may be mm, long-term. Mm. So you've got this little window of opportunity to get them on track. Um, otherwise, if they're just eating lots of pasta and, you know, the stuff that kids always seem to prefer, which is white, often processed food, you know, mm. um, it, it may take a long time to, to get them out of those habits. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, and I always, I, I used to cook things and my kids would refuse to eat them and I'd just go, okay, well, that's all you're getting. And my husband would kind of lose his mind, you know, like he couldn't handle the thought of them going to bed with no food. And I'd just go, they'll be <laughs> right, they'll wake up. And they always well, did. <laughs> well, one, one thing I did with my kids when they were little, when they were going through that transition phase of, you know, wanting everything to be white and pasta, is I, got, I used to drag them along to the fruit shop and I used to give them a basket and say, you can pick whatever weird, you know, pieces of fruit and vegetable you want to pick. And it almost became a competition of who could come back with the weirdest looking thing. <laughs> and then we'd go home with it and we'd often have to Google how to even prepare it. But it created this sense of adventure and fun with like fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And they'd sort of participated in the buying of that and the choosing of it and they felt invested then in the eating of it. Yeah. So yeah. that was the way I got around it. And I just started to get them involved with that. Now that's a bit exhausting for parents to do all the time. But if you just insert that kind of activity once in a while, it nudges it along. Yeah. That's true. Why do you think that it was one of the facts is that one of the highest weight gains for um, women is between 25 to 34? Why is that? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. We're seeing weight gain in women in their 20s and, and early 30s. And Initially, the, the feeling was, oh, maybe that's related to having babies. But it seemed to be quite independent of that. And I think one of the reasons could be that women are sort of earning a bit more money and and they're, they're moving less, so they're probably more sedentary. And with the more money comes more kind of lattes at the coffee shop and more snack foods from the cafe and more Uber Eats and the equivalent, you know, that sort of. Mm. Um, sense of access to food that you're buying, which is more expensive, but it's it's interesting. Some of my patients will do things like they've they've said that they've got a real issue because they get onto something like Uber, and they'll just order a a chocolate slice, 
and that oh, would be delivered. Wow. So it's almost, it's almost like whatever you can think of. You, you should have seen of... Ellen's face there. She went, wow. You can do that? <laughs> you know, I'm so it's, glad it's, I live in the country because that would be me. Yeah, because they're just so accessible that um, it can, it doesn't. there's no barrier to consumption. So yeah. It's like standing in a sort of the lolly shop all the time going, oh, what will I have now? Yeah. Um, so it, it's about sort of thinking, you know, in the old days you'd have to go to the shop or you don't even have to do that. So it's also about thinking that age group in particular are big uptakers of all of those technologies which give them food apps. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much all the food, like how much of Instagram is food? That's like it's just so almost much. where food's saturated. Mm. It's either your body or food. It is. There's always so much there. And you can't, in a sense, you start to look at, you know, we blame ourselves and feel guilty, but we are we are bombarded. Like I watched the football the other night and every time they got a, um, on the big screen, every time they got a try, a big thing of roast of, you know, their sponsor of um, deep fried chicken oh, comes come up. up. So when you've got Uber coming to your door, you've got chicken ads, mm. you've got Instagram, mm. you've got, it is, it is. It is in your well, and social media feeds are full of ads for, for and it's called like a feed, that. Ellen. A yeah. social media feed. Feed. Did you know that, Caroline? <laughs> a feed. Yeah. Everything feeds, isn't it? So, I mean, it's it's true. We live in this environment which is inducing us to eat or consume more. It's about consumption, isn't it? So, it you know, I think that as individuals, we can be forgiven for having our weight and lifestyle trending in a certain direction because. Our whole community has has these sorts of um, influences um, that we have to to live with all the time, which basically influence what we eat. Yeah, and when we eat. so, I mean that's why also I think you know it gets back to this having collective sort of solutions that I guess as communities we sort of have things that are going to make a big difference to. Um, our lifestyles in the long term. Yeah, yeah. One thing, can I ask? We haven't we haven't sort of mentioned it throughout the podcast, but it's one thing that I have often found um, really helpful when I've been really off track is a food diary. Do you recommend mm. those? I mean, you do have to be honest with your diary. <laughs> I, I, you know, I I do recommend them for a lot of women, and the reason that I recommend them is it brings mindfulness to the equation. Because when you have to record it, you have to actually um, be mindful of, of what you've eaten and the choices that you've made. And when you look back, you often go, gee, that's interesting. I'm having chips in the afternoon and I'm having, you know, snacks before dinner and I'm having chocolate in front of the TV. So it brings your awareness to what's happening and then it's often a reality check because we've talked before about how we're really good at having selective memories about mm. what we're eating and what we're doing. So, yeah, I think... I think a food diary, the thing I find is that people can lose interest with food diary. So just even keeping it for a week is probably a good snapshot. Um, there are apps as well that can help you with a food diary. Um, but a lot of people just like having a little notebook. Yeah. The, some of the apps. put it in their notes the apps, on their phone. Yeah, some of the apps are great actually because you can even, you know, take a photo of the barcode. And it will record, you know, if it's a if it's a packaged yeah. food or something, and it will record it and tell you how many calories it was and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I find them. I actually find it really helpful to kind of steer me back in the right direction when I when I yeah. go off. And so, it sounds yeah, tracking yourself can be good. Measuring what you're trying to manage, you know, that 
philosophy. Yeah, so measuring um, your food and then having an activity tracker to to measure your activity, you know, and you're kind of accountable on both sides. Yeah. Um, and then getting back to what we were talking about before with the, the life stages and, and um, you know, the hormone chat we were just having, uh, the other obvious one is, you know, menopause and the changing shape of most women during menopause mm. and where we sort of tend to more easily gain weight around the middle and, um, you know, we become more of that sort of uh, thicker shape. Um, we do, and even fun. our clothes sometimes, Caroline, I've noticed the clothing that they market to it's like we just assume, oh, well, this is it. This is what it's going to be like. <laughs> you know, I won't be getting any wasted clothes anymore. I'll be going for the big oversight, you know, the big linen dress. This is how we start to, you know, should we still have expectations that we can maintain a similar healthy, you know, kind of weight, even though a little bit heavier than we used to? But we shouldn't just assume that we're going to be overweight, should we? Well, I think two-thirds of us are carrying weight above and beyond, you know, what we're comfortable with or what's probably healthy for us. But I think that, yeah, I think that um, it's ideal if we start thinking about weight management as a younger woman, often when we get to, you know, our our later years, once we've held on to lots of weight for many decades, it's realistic to expect you could lose a bit of that weight, which is fantastic for your health, but it's unrealistic to think that you're going to go back 10 or 20 kilos often. So um, I think that, you know, when I'm managing women who are, who are in that perimenopausal menopausal phase, yes, it's really great to often get a few kilos off so that you feel that you've got more energy and that your health outcomes are better but you might be quite modest in what you expect you know it's about taming those expectations Mm -hmm. so that you might not have the the small waist again but you'll you'll feel shimmer through the middle and you know the the number one I, i i just often have women who um have watched programs like biggest loser where they've watched transformations because tv is all about this dramatic reveal you know you start off like this and yeah. and the reveal at the end is yeah. you've ended up like that um and so the expectation is that well i could do that you know i want to lose 40 kilos or 30 kilos um and so when you're mid-age losing that amount of weight to go from sort of 90 to 60 kilos is is going to be you know, probably one in 10,000 women mm. would, would be able to do that. It's, and, it's, and what's the reality of those shows, Dr. Caroline? Like what, what are they having to put themselves through to achieve that? Well, what you tend to see on the box is you tend to see all the exercise and the sort of the tempting them with food. And the exercise routines are pretty intense, you know, dragging exercise up hills and doing all of that boot camp stuff. Um, so what you don't see is often how much energy-dense food they're eating a day. And the word is that they're actually on very low-calorie diet and that mm. allows them to have rapid weight loss. So what you see is, is not necessarily sustainable at all and it's radical, yeah. radical weight loss. And the psychology behind that is, well, have you adjusted to the new you? If you, if you long-term track a lot of those people who've had extreme weight loss on a program where their life has been micromanaged for them, as soon as they're back in the real world, making choices at the supermarket and working out what to eat after they've watched telly, the weight creeps on and then they just feel defeated. And then it starts this whole thing off again. So, you know, they, they set these really unrealistic bars and then people see them and go, oh, that must be possible. Yeah. I, I think they, you know, it's, 
they're not really necessarily aspirational. They can just lead to this cycle of despair. It also feels a bit like a form of shaming as well, those shows. Mm. And you are not getting the health benefit. One of the great things that I read, which made me feel really great about the health aspects, was that no matter how overweight you are, and you can tell me whether this is true or not, because it's one of those things I I never remember my source, but no matter how overweight you are, even the loss, if you are in weight loss, so maybe you've, if you're 110 kilos and you just started losing weight but you've lost one kilo, you get the, the health benefits of heart protection and all that kind of stuff. Is that true? Mm. Yeah, even a few percent of your, your waistline to go down and, you know, your, your body composition to change a bit where you're fitter um, and you've maybe lost on the scales a few kilos, that is going to still reduce your risk of diabetes it's going to reduce your risk of cancer and heart disease so yeah you can get extraordinary benefits with just very small shifts so you don't have to lose a massive amount of weight and given that a lot of people are gaining a kilo a year of weight and that two-thirds of people are overweight roughly um Mm. you know there's some value in just getting back to the plateau idea that okay for the next couple of years our goal is going to be that you're just going to hold this weight yeah, You're just not going to be heavier in a year's time and two years' time. So yeah. sometimes just even holding your current position is a success story. Yeah. Now, sometimes we just focus too much on, oh, I've got to lose weight. Well, for some people who are heavier, maybe it's just let's get you fitter and feeling better in yourself and your weight will stay the same, but you're going to be in a much better position. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Now, can I just ask quickly, um, you know, the COVID lockdown that we all experienced and some a lot, you know, it was a lot harder than others, in particular Mm. the people in Victoria, a lot of people talked about how much weight they put on during that. I mean, is that... Does, is that because of Uber Eats and all of that sort of stuff? It, what, I mean, obviously in Melbourne they, they couldn't even really exercise the way they some people might have wanted to. I guess that would have contributed. Or was it more of a psychological thing? I think it was everything. It was the perfect storm. Like you have, you have this sort of um, thing where people are suddenly at home in an environment they're not used to being in. They're, they've got access to food just all the time. And tracksuit um, pants, Caroline. Yeah, and tracksuit pants. Well, I've been I've been wearing you know stretchy kind of leggings pretty well the whole year. I've got all this cupboard full of beautiful dresses. I just haven't got into any of them. So, um, and getting back to you know drinking a bit more to manage stress and uncertainty, and um, sleeping a bit less because you're tossing and turning about what's happening next. There's there's plenty, and so. You know, they've done quite a bit of research on what's happening with eating habits. And some of the data is that, you know, at least two-thirds of people have changed how they're eating during COVID. Wow. And most of, yeah, most of that hasn't been positive. Positive, like, yeah. There's well, a lot of like bread being baked. Yeah, there is, isn't there? And, you know, so that's normal in a period of crisis to um, change what you're doing. And it'll be interesting to see um, who makes changes in the opposite direction once things settle down. I mean, having said that, some people have done the opposite and they've lost weight during lockdown and become healthier because they've had time to really think about what they're doing and how they're going to prioritise, you know, walking or exercise and um, cooking more nutritious food. So it's not a it's not a simple everybody's done the same thing. It's been kind of interesting. But mm. in general, people really, you know, pulled the plug and went, okay, I'm just doing whatever because it doesn't matter because who knows what's happening next, you know. I did initially. I really, I put on, you know, three or four kilos really quickly 
And then because my husband normally travels for work and he was at home and then I just couldn't stand spending every day with him. Uh, and <laughs> so I was walking. I was I was like one of those marathon walkers. I was the poor dog was going, No, not another walk. It's too far. <laughs> it is and I think also being on Zoom during that time, you think of everyone on Zoom. Just like, sitting you're there. Only, you're sedentary and you're, you're not having to go out in public. People are only seeing you from the waist up. Yeah. So you kind of, I can see how people went, well, it doesn't matter. I'll put on some kilos but I'll lose them. Like you would have bargained with yourself. And I think a big thing is being in those comfy clothes. You don't notice it creeping up. If you're not somebody who, who weighs yourself <laughs> and you're in your big, I bought a couple of house dresses and they were basically sheets with holes in for the arms. <laughs> That's another great tip, Dr. Caroline, is start wearing more uncomfortable clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the women in the 50s. They couldn't move. Yeah, that's right. I could never get in those dresses. Wait, yeah, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. It totally is. So <laughs> I guess I would just love to know before we go um, today, because it's been really great speaking to you over the last six episodes, but just really quickly your top tips um, to close with for maintaining, you know, a healthy lifestyle and keeping your motivation up. Well, I, I think it's about um, connecting with something that you like for a start. So that's, you know, particularly with exercise, just finding something that, that makes you feel good in yourself and your body and clears your head. And so motivation is all about getting positive feedback in a way. And so finding something that works for you, starting with some simple steps um, in terms of things you can change in your um, diet, which might be as simple as looking at your fruit and vegetable intake. And just, if nothing else, starting to get those containers and chopping up some extra fruit and vegetables every day to just try and increase the amount of fruit and veg that you're eating. Um, and I guess on the community level, thinking about things that you can do at a community level that are going to make you feel more connected and, um, I guess, glad to be alive. You know, that sense of, can mm. I do some of this journey with somebody else, either an exercise buddy or... Um, a group of us will make these changes to what we're drinking or how we're eating or something that can be done as a collective. I just think for some people that's pretty powerful as well. So, yeah, and starting to think of it as as all of us are living in this environment, all of us, you know, are up against these challenges. And the thing is that the little changes that you make, whether it's your eating or your sleep or your alcohol, um, your movement can all make a huge difference to your long-term health. Yeah, that, and they, yeah, they're, they're just they're such easy changes we can all make, aren't they? And and I love the way that you frame them, Dr. Caroline, in that, you know, they really are such positive things and, and everything is a flow-on effect. You, you know, you start moving, you're going to feel mentally much happier, you're going to feel physically much happier, you're going to want to eat. Yeah, you're going to sleep better, you're going to want to eat the healthy foods because you don't want to undo what you're doing. It really is a flow-on effect, isn't it? It is good. It's a whole new life. Yeah. I think that's probably why you call it lifestyle, isn't it? It's a whole, and we've got to go and live our new lives now. <laughs> yeah. I live my new life. Oh, and we have to tell you, Dr. Caroline, um, Mandy had four days off drinking. Yeah, I did. This um, week? A whole new life. I was so smug, having a bath, <laughs> drinking my herbal tea. Taking my basket Excellent. out. And, and then she then she binged for three nights. I but anyway, binge. it's a start. It was just a refresher. I didn't want to lose my drinking legs. Become like you. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with us, Dr. Caroline. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you on Setting the Table. And I really hope that in this podcast we have touched on a lot of 
kind of issues and ideas that will help people set their table to change a little few patterns here and there that'll set them on the right pathway because that's what it's all about. So thank you. Thank you. See you later. Bye. 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 Oh, she's just fabulous. She just makes it, it – she really breaks it down and just makes it so simple. Yeah, because I feel really motivated now. I know. I feel really motivated too and it's probably – it's almost lunchtime. <laughs> We've got to go and eat. We've got to go. I know. <laughs> Do you want to have – we're not We're not having – We're not having we're, tuna. And we're not having biscuits. No, we're not having tuna not or have, biscuits. Or tuna on biscuits. I don't know. We could, have, we could have something leafy. We could. Go into your garden. We've got a lot of leafy stuff in I my know. garden. It often dies. Uh, before you get down there, I think we might go and do that. It does actually make you – I love the mindful kind of approach. Yeah. And it is – it's part of life. So this is really nice because I'm not – you know, as a woman and as a feminist, um, I've been really anti the body shaming culture yeah. as, as you have as well. Absolutely. So I feel like this is a really positive way to frame, you know. It's, not, it's definitely not about how you look, you know. It's not and, diets. It's how you feel. Yeah, and I want to, you know, I want to kind of live a long time and not not live a crappy old life on medication and you know not feeling well. Yeah, because we can all live a long time now. All those things that you get all from it. it's really t- it's, it's so much related to what you eat. I yeah, you know, even dementia. Yeah, um, with the inflammatory stuff and heart disease and oh my god, there's yeah. so much. So though. there's lots of reasons to just just clean up your act and I don't know just. Have a think about it. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We've really, we've really enjoyed it. It's a little more serious than the stuff that we normally do, but it is something that every single woman I have ever known in my life has thought about. Well, yeah, and it's important, yeah. you know, that they do think about we have to manage and that we have to have these conversations and we need this information. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's go set the table. Okay. See you. Setting the Table is produced by women like us and informed by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. As always, our original music is by Gian and Simon, so thank you for that. Don't forget to like us and rate us on places where you listen to your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, where Spotify, else, Mandy? Spotify, you can listen to Spotify. Spotify, Podcast Republic, Google iTunes. Podcasts, iTunes, or you can just download it straight from um, our podcast website. So thanks for listening and we will see you next week.